Hey book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation, there may be spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. Welcome to our Sweet 16 episode. We're going to start this month by celebrating Native American History Month. Hey, Carrie, what's going on with you this week? Just trying to deal with grad school obligations. I'm only taking one class, but it seems like I'm taking 15 classes Mm. and working, and (laughs) I don't know how I did it before. But other than that, everything's good. It's been beautiful in Flagstaff in the low 60s, right? Mm -hmm. It's been nice this week. So Sweater weather. Yep. Or not sweater weather. It's too hot. All right. Well, <laughs> I get cold and then I get hot and then I get cold. Moving on. How, what are What's going on with you this week, Corey? Uh, wow. It's been kind of crazy. So I finally finished four of, teaching four of my five classes. I still have some grading to do, but the actual teaching part is done. Woo! So that feels good. But then because I'm crazy, uh, we had someone at the bookstore – uh, resign um, to take a new opportunity. And so I'm picking up some of her hours between now and the start of next semester. Oh, wow. So I'm working about 20 hours at the bookstore. <laughs> I want to work at the bookstore. Well, go put in an application. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the Girls on the Run 5K was this past weekend, and I was in charge of eh, about 140-ish volunteers for an event that had about, eh, I don't know, seven or 800 people. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but super fun. Um, ooh, maybe I'll post a picture on Instagram of me and my tutu and all my stuff. It's, yeah. I look super adorable, cute, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're not biased at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So what, what, what kind of tea concoction did you make for us today, Corey? It's delicious. Well, I decided to go with the pumpkin spice uh, as it's the fall, and that seems to be what we do in the fall is drink pumpkin spice everything or eat it or smell it or, you know, all of the things. Bathe in it. Bathe in it. (laughs) So I tried my version of a pumpkin spice chai latte with almond milk, and I used Tazo Chai, and um, just I love their little... Little, they have like little poems on the side of their box that are super darn cute. So this one says, Cinnamon and cardamom sit by a crackling clove fire, knitting elegant black tea scarves. <laughs> Ginger waltzes in with just a baked pumpkin pumpkin pie and the room turns aromatic with sweet spice it's so cute isn't that adorable <laughs> and also shout out to tazo because they are going to be sending us something sweet and delicious that hopefully we can share with you guys when it comes in the mail so excited thank you so much tazo yeah I'm, it'll be like christmas come early exactly <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, again, one of the things that we really wanted to do with this podcast is to celebrate a variety of heritage months that happen throughout the year. Um, Really kind of, I think almost selfishly for me, at least, it's been an intentional uh, journey in reading more diverse books and reminding myself about all the diverse cultures that exist around us. Yeah. Uh, so Kiri did some research on Native American Heritage Month, and so I'm going to hand off to her, and she's going to share some little facts uh, with you. So the first American Indian Day, as it was called back then, in a state was declared on the second Saturday in May of 1916 by the governor of New York. Several states celebrated the fourth Friday in September, and in Illinois, for example, legislators enacted such a day in 1919. 
Presently, several states have designated Columbus Day as Native American Day, but it continues to be a day we observe without any recognition as a national legal holiday. The month is a time to celebrate rich and diverse cultures, traditions, and histories, and to acknowledge the important contributions of Native people. Native American Heritage Month is also an opportune time to educate the general public about tribes, to raise general awareness about the unique challenges Native people have faced both historically and in the present, and the ways in which tribal citizens have worked to conquer these challenges. On August 3, 1990, President George H.W. Bush declared the month of November as National American Indian Heritage Month. That may be the one good thing he did during his presidency. (laughs) (laughs) No politics. (laughs) Thereafter, commonly referred to as Native American Heritage Month. So it's the whole month of November. And for example, our place of business, Northern Arizona University, has put on events for the entire month for Mm -hmm. people to come check out the Native American Cultural Center to try food, to listen to music, to um, learn dancing, and to be part of that dancing. So it's a pretty cool um, event that our our place of business is putting on for greater awareness. Well, and so for those that maybe are a little bit geographically challenged, um, one thing to know is that Arizona has, oh gosh, I think over 100 different tribes, and uh, we are considered a native-serving institution. So we actively uh, recruit um, various Native Americans to come and be at our university. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for, if you're interested, there are five ways to celebrate Native American Heritage Month that I found, which is Read a book about American Indian history. Check. Check. Attend a lacrosse game. Yeah, the the Indians created lacrosse. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. Watch a film starring American Indians. I have mixed feelings about that one. I do too. But okay. We'll we'll learn more about that in our book (laughs) selection. Yes, yes. Try a native recipe. Mm -hmm. And learn the real story of the first Thanksgiving. Yep. Which is... Have you ever read the book Lies My Teacher Told Me? No. It's about all the things that are wrong in American history <laughs> that we teach our kids in L- and K through 12. Oh, man. And as you can imagine, there's a lot about Native American history. I can imagine. Including, I think, the the real story of the first Thanksgiving. Yeah, there so. seems to be a lot of misinformation about that. Yes. Okay. So uh, Kiri's going to kick things off with talking about her book which was Neither Wolf Nor Dog on Forgotten Roads with an Indian Elder by Kent Nurburn. So what are your uh, general impressions and thoughts? And then I'll chime in with my million pages of notes. <laughs> I've only been given like five minutes, so don't worry, people. She's not going to let me go too crazy. So a couple of my random thoughts while reading this book was, wow, I feel horrible being a white person. Yep. That happens a lot when you read real talk about Native <laughs> American history. Yeah. Second, oh, man, Dan, I want to hang out with Dan. And Grover. And Grover and, like, the whole shebang. And Fatback. Yeah. (laughs) They sound like a groovy bunch. They do. They do. Uh, Third was Dan, I feel, is trying to break Kent. Yeah. Completely. Break him down. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, this book uh, is a nonfiction piece, and Kent is a writer, and he – he gets a call from a woman, uh, which we found, find out later is Dan's niece. Granddaughter. About, granddaughter. Oh, granddaughter. Right. Yeah. And she basically asks him to come out to 
talk to Dan mm-hmm. because Dan wants to write a book. But Dan doesn't want to write a book. He wants a white man to write a book because white men come mm-hmm. off a little bit better than Native American men. And maybe we should give a little geography again really quickly. Um, oh, they're in a... Uh, well, so Dan, not Dan. Oh, uh, Kent is from Bemidji, Minneapolis, or <laughs> Bemidji, Minnesota. Excuse me, which is way north. It's up by the boundary waters of the Mississippi River. I only know this because I've been there. Oh, um, so and then he goes to South Dakota. Yep. Um, to see Dan. So really, that's not as far as it sounds. Yeah. But if you don't know your upper plain states then yeah it seems like what where is that how would they get there yeah yeah so he goes and he basically starts writing for dan Mm -hmm. taking dan's stories that he's scribbled on paper for probably his whole life and starts to collect these stories and make them a little bit more cohesive Mm -hmm. and along the way they go on little trips and make dan or make kent kind of break down his white ego slash agenda of just being with the land and listening to the land. And Mm -hmm. it's this overall, I feel, spiritual experience that Kent goes through Mm -hmm. with Dan. And Dan kind of pushes him to continue to have those experiences. Yep. And, you know, it's a beautifully written book. And I really felt like I knew Dan, like... Mm -hmm. Kent's description of Dan and their interactions and conversations just kind of made me feel like I was sitting there in the room with them, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed. Agreed. I, yeah, that was one of my notes. And again, this is kind of goes back to our ambitious schedule. But um, I felt really rushed reading this book. Yeah. And it's deceptively dense is what I wrote down. And there is just so much to mine out of the book. I wanted to spend more time with it. Yeah, than I had. Yeah. And, you know, there were some really, really good quotes in this book that it was so hard to pick a few. (laughs) I picked three, but they're all quite long. Yep. So the first one is in the introduction of the book, and Mm -hmm. it says, In the last analysis, we must all, Indian and non-Indian, come together. This earth is our mother. This land is our shared heritage. Our histories and fates are intertwined no matter where our ancestors were born and how they interacted with each other. Neither wolf nor dog is one small effort to help this coming together. It is not an attempt to build a fence around a man and his people, but to honor them with the gift of my words. I have done my best, and I place this book before you, like the tobacco before the buffalo rock, as a simple offering. May you receive it in the spirit with which it was offered." Yeah, I I liked the whole introduction. And Mm -hmm. then actually, um, I went back and reread it after I finished the book. And it was even more meaningful. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, there was just a lot of context when you read the introduction. Mm -hmm. And you didn't know where it was all headed. When you went back, you're like, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. And then one of the... I have two more that I want to share. So the other one is people should think of their words like seeds. They should plant them, then let them grow in silence. Our old people taught us that the earth is always speaking to us, but that we have to be silent to hear her. That's great. Which I kind of feel like is what's happening with the current uh, world disasters that seem to be happening but she's not being very quiet about she it she's screaming. like screaming up i'm gonna tell you what is going on she's like screaming and slapping us in our faces and we're still going what wait what? climate change doesn't exist what? What? i don't know yeah. and then my final quote is that is not the way it should be good leaders wait to be called and they give up their power when they are no longer needed 
Selfish men and fools put themselves first and keep their power until someone throws them out. It is no good to have a way where selfish men and fools fight with each other to be leaders while the good ones watch. Yeah. Which is our political Mm -hmm. experience right now, I seem. Yep. And I think to add a little context to that, if I remember it, he um, makes some comment, I'm just paraphrasing, but something about it makes no sense to put a timeline on how long someone should be a leader. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like, he's like, it's silly that you all, it, you might have your best leader, but oh, four years is up. Oh, eight years is up. Sorry, you got to go. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, yeah, that's actually a good point. You know, and again, we know the context of the monarchy and mm-hmm. that that's why we, we limit terms, but he brings up a good point. Are we, are we, have, did we swing too far to one side yeah. because of the experience that the, um, that we had before? Well, isn't there a, wasn't there a president that did a long more than eight years who was that who was it lbj no Uh, there's one president i feel like that did more than the eight years and now i can't remember so i'll post it on show notes yeah i wonder if maybe they came in if they if they were a vp that became president which is why i was thinking lbj okay because lbj got in because of JFK. I should know this since I'm a history major, but I don't. <laughs> it's Awkward. okay. I won't hold it against you. But I feel like you're right. I do agree with you on that. So yes, we will put it in show notes yes. instead of speculating for the rest of the show. <laughs> but overall, I really enjoyed this book. I, I had a hard time with, you know, my whiteness. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to... I didn't do any of this, you know, like mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. in part of taking away people's lands and killing people. But... I'm sure one of my ancestors was. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard place to be. It's a hard thing to read, especially because, like, I cannot help what has happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I can only help the future. And I hope that what I have decided to do and live my life and how I respect people will make a difference compared to contributing to the negative effects that native people seem to have towards white people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um so you know one of my questions I actually posed that I kept asking myself throughout that was and I'll kind of share my question and then my conclusions which I'm not saying are right but just kind of where I went and then yeah I want to touch a little bit on what you're talking about is I spent a lot of time asking myself why Nurburn was inserting himself so much into the story, um, his feelings. And um, when it seemed, when the story was in theory supposed to be about Dan. Mm-hmm. And finally what I concluded, and this is, I guess, just how I interpreted it to kind of help myself understand and whatnot is that he wanted the readers to understand that we should feel uncomfortable and sad when mm-hmm. we read this. Yeah. And that it's not meant to be a feel-good story. He wants us to feel helpless when hearing that there's still accountability for the action of our ancestors. And, you know, we can't necessarily fix the past, as you said. Yeah. But by creating awareness that there's still issues and problems, um, that the past decisions are still having implications for today mm-hmm. uh, is really significant. So yeah. I think he was trying to be really honest and real. And as you said, show that the journey of um, Dan breaking him down Mm -hmm. so that we would understand that how we felt our uncomfortableness with our white privilege and our white guilt is normal and to be expected. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a like, so now what? Yeah. Yeah. So so that was kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, I have a, it's always interesting to me to hear white privilege 
and I understand the concept of it. And I'm definitely not trying to pick a fight or get political, but there's part of me that's also like, I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't. Yep. I mean, I, yes, I'm a white female. I'm educated. I've had opportunities, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like I can't help being born white. Right. I can't help being born female. Mm-hmm. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that I can do to make it, maybe make it so that it's not quote unquote so much white privilege, but mm-hmm. It's a it's hard for me to be okay with that term because I mm-hmm. feel like none of us really yes, we might be quote unquote blessed to be born white, but mm-hmm. at the same time it's something that we can't control. Right. But I I But that's the point of it I though. Know. I mean yeah. that's and that's why they call it white privilege. Like, yes, and I think it's it's hard. And I mean, of course, working with college students, I get in the conversations about it all the time and especially white male students at that age Mm -hmm. really struggle with the idea of white privilege. And, you know, for me, I'm always like, it's not about making you feel guilty. It's about making you aware of what you were born with. Right. And that just, and that it is, you have been given a privilege um, just through the nature of how your ancestor history played out Mm -hmm. that someone else wasn't. And yes, you had no choice in it, but you know, now what, what are you going to, again, what are you going to do with that? And how are you going to recognize that? Yes, you, we could use the word lucked into this role. Right. Um, but now what are you going to do now that you know that this is just the luck of the draw? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky. It's complicated. Yeah. I mean, I think everything about it is complicated. Yeah. Well, and that's why there's still so many racial issues today. I mean, it's just so complicated and you realize how embedded, um, racism is into our world and our mm-hmm. lives, even unintentionally, the things that we just don't think about. Yeah. Um, and most of us are well-meaning and we don't want to be doing some of the things that uh, Dan talks about, mm-hmm. but we do, Yeah. you know, and then it's, and that's what's, again, that's the uncomfortable piece of going, but, but I, I have the best of intentions. Right. And then it's like, well, there's that phrase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You want to say it or am I? No, you can say it. Okay. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so I know. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel, I feel very lucky. I don't know if lucky is the right word. You know, I've through. You feel very privileged. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was trying to avoid that one. <laughs> through both my schooling and through my past jobs, I've spent a lot of time unpacking um, racial issues and cultural issues and the history of it and the current situations. And it never gets any easier. I I feel like every time I start to have an understanding and I grasp, uh, I feel like, okay, I think I'm on the right path. Then I learn something new and I'm like, well, shit. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still part of the problem. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, you know, part of what people don't know about me is that I grew up in uh, poverty. Like, so Mm -hmm. we were in government housing and we were on food stamps and, you know, I have a couple of friends that are very like, we shouldn't help poor people because they should just be able to take care of themselves. And mm-hmm. I look at them and go, you do realize that you're talking to somebody who grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. I mean, without the assistance of the government, mm-hmm. we would not su- mm-hmm. have survived. I mean, yeah, there's just no way we could have gotten by. My mom made like $20,000 a year. It's just not – yeah. In Flagstaff, it's not – or anywhere, really. It's You can't really survive on that. And no. so it's always hard for me to have people say comments like, well, if they could have just helped not being poor, if they mm-hmm. could have changed their perspective, or if they couldn't pick up the bottle. I Find mean, a different job. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Yep. Which leads me to one thought that I had throughout the whole book. I'm going to make a Game of Thrones reference. You now. know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> yes! <laughs> You stole my line. 
<laughs> it was just so perfect because that's the only Game of Thrones reference that anybody ever makes. <laughs> okay, now we can quit. You should have seen Corey. Her arms went up in the air. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, anyways, okay. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> so just a little, uh, yeah, a little moment of levity. But I did seriously th- kept thinking that throughout that. Because um, yeah. in a weird way, it was it is a kind of irrelevant thought. Yeah. Dan kind of shot Kent down quite a bit, like, stop it. Shut up. Yeah. You know nothing. Yeah. I mean, literally, he'd say things like that. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You're being a white person. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it just kept going and going and going. Um, okay. So... <clears throat> I think, so things that I guess our listeners wouldn't know about me that give some context to my perceptions of this book and my thoughts in general. Uh, As an undergrad, I was a history major. In fact, I think my first history class in college was about the American West. Hmm. I don't remember anything about the class. I just know that was the class. (laughs) I'm sure we talked about some of this stuff and I was probably like, what? (laughs) Um, But so I guess that's also how I kind of approached reading this. So I took like copious notes and categorized themes and all sorts of craziness. Um, to help me kind of just make sense of it, I guess. And, you know, the and then my other grad school programs and kind of circling back around to what we were just talking about a little bit. I've had to read a couple of pieces that, for lack of a better word, I'm sure there's probably a less confrontational sounding word, but were very radical in mm-hmm. how they were written. And, um, and basically, and I'm oversimplifying this for the purpose of the explanation, but they would talk they would refer to uh, modern day white people as um, colonists Mm -hmm. and essentially they would, their call to action would be that we all need to leave and give the land back to the Indians. Yeah. And on a philosophical and intellectual level, I get what they're saying, Mm -hmm. but for me, it would just piss me off. And I'd be like, this is not helpful. Right. This is not helpful. Okay. I get it. I get that you're trying to make me uncomfortable. I'm trying, I get that you're trying to say that I'm an intruder on this land, but a number one, my parents, my my ancestors were Irish and came over during the potato potato famine, so they had nothing to do with settling the West. Again, I'm here, so you could say I'm a settler or a right. colonist because I'm here today. But I'm like, this is not a viable solution. We're not just all going to pick up and leave this country and mm-hmm. go back to the land of our ancestors. Yeah. And so for me, I'm such a pragmatist. I'm like. This this makes me feel even more helpless. It doesn't inspire me to do the right thing or to figure out what I need to do to to help fix the problems of the past. Well, and to me, it makes me irritated. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes me angry mm-hmm. because we can't help it. Like, there's – I don't know. It's just – it's not a positive way to move forward. Instead of collaborating, it's still dividing us of, like, mm-hmm. you need to go return to your land so we can return mm-hmm. to ours. And at this point in time, there's no returning for either of us. It's trying to help this planet as best as we can together Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. realizing, like, together we are a family. Together Mm -hmm. we can help things. But that whole separation of us versus them, Mm -hmm. our land versus your land, it's just... It's hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, and again, there's no simple answer to that. I, I do think, you know, as you were talking, I started remembering, I forget why I was having this conversation, but someone was talking about, and I remember this because it took us forever to remember the name Dred Scott. Do you remember the Dred Scott case? No. So in a nutshell, and I may mix up some facts here, people, but Dred Scott moved to a slaveholding state with his owner who then emancipated him, but then his owner died and so then he was not recognized 
or he was going to emancipate him. Maybe that was it. Maybe he was going to emancipate him, but then he died before he did. And so he was like, but I'm supposed to be free now. My owner doesn't exist. And they're like, no, you're still a slave. And so it was like the first civil court or civil, civil court, uh, Supreme Court case around slavery. Mm. And I guess recently there was a whole meeting between Dred Scott's ancestors and the ancestors of the Supreme Court judge that was the deciding opinion. Mm. And, um, the ancestor of the Supreme Court judge person was like, I don't feel like I should apologize to Dred Scott's ancestors. This was what my and my ancestor did. I have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And But he said when he got in the same room with them and had these conversations, he felt this powerful need to apologize. Mm. And that and that when he did that, that um, the ancestors of Dred Scott said, you know, no one has ever apologized to us for what mm. happened. Thank you so much. And I was like, wow. Yeah. So I don't know. Food for thought. Um, okay. Well, I'll try and wrap up. We ha- we haven't even gotten to our second book yet. Well, <laughs> you all are in for a long episode today, but you're only getting two this month. So in a way, it kind of makes sense. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um. So as I said, I kind of categorize things, and um, and and just so some things. So what I'll do is I'll just say some things that you could learn about by reading this book. How about that? Okay. You there's a lot of examples of cultural differences, values, and use of language mm-hmm. that I thought was really great. Just a couple examples of that. Um, at one point, Dan calls out Nurburn and says, um, "Lying is, with silence is still lying," mm. and he said, "Silence is the lie of the good man or coward." Mm. Um, there were some conversations about differences in opinions. So you know the Indians valued the land where the settlers valued property. Um, And that was kind of cultural clashes and not understanding that difference in values. Um, I thought this was good. White people wanted and value freedom. Indians want and value honor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's just even some choice of words. So when there was fighting between settlers and the army and um, the Native American groups, when white people won, it was a victory. When Indians won, it was a massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, they He kind of criticized camping, and he's like, you talked us into not sleeping on the ground anymore, and now you go out and be one with the nature <laughs> and sleep on the ground. I was like, oops. Touche. Touche. <laughs> um, that all Indians are either drunks or noble Indians. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it just keeps going on and on and on. And I, I again, I think I dog-eared every other page in this book. Mm. Uh, I might just have to buy this book, actually. <laughs> okay. I thought, the other reason I think I like this book, so this goes back to what I was talking about, those other articles that I didn't like, is that this made me uncomfortable, but I didn't feel helpless. Mm. I felt like, it gave me important information that mm-hmm. I needed to think about, and I don't necessarily have a plan of action for it. Right. But I have a better understanding of what my how I'm part of the problem, and I think one of the things was is because Nurburn started letting himself feel vulnerable, and he would ask questions of Dan, such as, "What do you like to be called? Are you okay with being called an Indian?" Mm-hmm. And I think that that kept it really real like it gave because he would ask questions that i think sometimes some of us maybe would have but wouldn't have someone to ask that of yeah and so getting at least the answer from one person obviously um dan does not represent all native americans but Mm -hmm. just that perspective was helpful i think at times 
Um, they talked about cultural differences quite a bit. Um, cultural appropriation was a really big thing throughout there. And I thought um, that was really powerful again. Again, thinking about, um, you know, how do we how do we take Native American culture? There was a whole conversation about spirituality. So this is actually one of the quotes I wanted to share. Um, okay, so the white people want to own us spiritually. You want to swallow us so that you can say you are us. This is something new. Before you wanted to make us you, but now you are unhappy with who you are, so you want to make you into us. You want our ceremonies and our ways so that you can say you are spiritual. You're trying to become white Indians. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was like, whew, okay, yes, that's, dang, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the other, oh, and then again, I would just echo what you said as far as the writing you got a sense of the landscape, the towns, mm -hmm. the setting, every single setting, every single person. Uh, Nurburn's description was so minute, you know, fate, like the faces, their hair, what they were wearing, mm -hmm. um, all the things. And then the landscapes in particular, his descriptions of those, although that wasn't the primary purpose of this book, were just enchanting. And they spent time going through the Badlands um, as well as the plains and just... I could, vi again, visualize. So I wanted to finish with just one quote um, of a beautiful description, I guess to end on a more positive note. <laughs> the hills were paper cutouts against the darkening sky as we drove back across the bridge into the growing western night. Within minutes, Mowbridge was just a memory. The round moon bathed the hills in silver and left the draws in purple dark. It was a landscape painted by giants. Mm. Nice. It was nice. Yeah. All right. I think we should take a break. Yep. Okay. And we'll come back and talk about Corey's book, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Okay, listeners. Today we have an appeal for you. Whether you are starting your holiday shopping or just some regular shopping, we would ask that you keep us in mind if you're visiting Amazon. We, of course, encourage you to shop local and shop at small businesses, but we also know that sometimes you're just going to be getting a few things from Amazon. So we are Amazon affiliates in hoping, um, in hopes of earning a little money to help fund the expenses of our show. Although they aren't great, we do have monthly expenses to keep this going, such as books, the cost of our website, and things like that. Now, you don't actually have to buy a book for us to earn anything, but um, if you buy other things while you're at Amazon, we can get a small percentage of your purchase. So here's how it works. If you were to visit our podcast site, which is booksandteapodcast.com, um, and click through one of our books or tea links, um, it will most likely take you to Amazon. So go ahead and do your shopping. There are some things in your shopping cart. And then um, as long as you make that purchase within that one uh, 24 hour period, we get just an insy bincy little percentage of your purchase at no cost to you, of course, um, that goes back to us to help us run our show. So thank you in advance for considering this small and easy step um, to help us keep going. All right, so we're back and our second book is Corey's Choosing of Killers of the Flower Moon, the Aus Osage. Oh, the Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. Tell us what this is about. I did not read this book, so we're going to leave it all on Corey, which is fine because it seems like she probably has 50 billion pages of notes on it anyway. I do. I do. <laughs> I think you'll have some things to say. I mean, I, I hope you do go back and read this book because it was really, 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 really good. 
Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start with just the basis of it. The basis is, um, it's set in the 1920s, and it's regarding the Osage tribe, which is located in Oklahoma. And at the time, what most people don't know is that they were some of the richest people in the country Mm. because they had oil on their reservation Uh, land. And so they would auction off annually um, the rights to drill for oil. And as you can imagine, that was mainly white people Mm -hmm. and companies owned by white people. But every member of the tribe had what was called a head right, and so they would get a percentage of the profits from drilling the oil. So to give you all a sense, in 1923, the tribe earned $30 million, which in modern-day time money would be more like $400 million. Wow. So they sent their kids to fancy schools. They had furs and fancy cars and mansions and all the things. But... There began um, a series of mysterious deaths and murders, and by the time there was over 20 documented deaths that were either very mysterious or definitely murders, um, the FBI decided to get involved. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is really at the start of the FBI. It hadn't been around really long, and this was when J. Edgar Hoover, who was really formative in creating the FBI as we know it today, um, took this on as a project. And... I just really love this book. Um, it was meticulously researched, but it was it's like my favorite type of um, nonfiction book. It reads like a story. Mm. It just flows. Like, it's almost literally a page turner. And I think part of it is because there's a literal mystery that mm-hmm. the author is slowly revealing to you the background on. And so you are like, who did it? Who did mm-hmm. it? Who did it? Um and again, just really well written, good description. You start there's lots of pictures in the book, um, like historic pictures. So again, obviously both these books fall into my wheelhouse. I'm such a history junkie that I'm just like, yeah, I was just soaking it up. Um and I really have been wanting to read this for a while. I someone had I'd read about it or something, and I was really intrigued by the premise. So I was that was there was no brainer for me when we were picking books. This was the only one I looked at. <laughs> um Okay, so again, one of the main themes is the evilness of white men taking advantage of Native Americans um, who felt they were undeserving of this wealth. But it was really sinister. Um, so the, prim- well, the really the primary storyline that the author focuses on is this Native American, Osage Indian, um, Molly Burkhart and her family. And again, you know, there was a lot of cover up and a lot of... Um, inconsistencies and you know they spent i think they said that they the tribe themselves spent like tens of thousands of dollars trying to find out what was happening and then at a certain point the fbi stepped in and was like you all are totally mishandling this Mm. um we're taking over and so another one of the central characters is this uh guy time tom white who was a member of the fbi and he does spend a lot of time on his background and he's a a texas cowboy Mm. law man um kind of the tall quiet cowboy type (laughs) um but he's kind of the lead investigator so you get to know him and his background and motivation um but some of the things that were really kind of stood out Oh, and this, so here's a good example of uh, what he was up against. I love this quote. White found himself wandering through a wilderness of mirrors, his work more akin to espionage than criminal investigation. There were moles and double agents and possibly triple agents. And this just illustrates the level and complexity of the corruption that he Mm -hmm. was trying to investigate. Many of the Osage Indians um, had what they called guardians. 
And they were basically people who, white men, who would take charge of their estates and would limit how much money they could spend and how often. And in the meantime, would do things like, um, say, someone wanted to buy a car. They, the guardian would go out and buy a car for $1,200 and then charge the um, Osage Indian that they were guardian for, say, $5,000, and they would pocket the rest. Mm. And it says that they took away, they reappropriated over millions of dollars of their money during this time um, through this guardianship. Because, of course, the Osages were considered uneducated and like children and, and were thought that they couldn't manage their own money. So, again, just really sickening. But ultimately, um, so spoiler time, if you want to like stop or fast forward, if you want to unfold the mystery on your own. Um, essentially, the person who orchestrated the focus of this murders was Molly's husband's uncle she was married to a white man and her uncle orchestrated the killing off of almost all her entire family oh my god in collaboration with her husband oh my god i'm telling you you have to read this um and and it was really again it was methodical and sinister they he had people killed off in a certain order so that the headrights kept consolidating down until Molly was essentially the only person oh left with god. all these headrights. Oh my god. I know. <laughs> you should see Kira's face. She's like rubbing her eyes and she looks like she's going to start crying. Um so he was so it, ultimately Molly's husband turned on his uncle. The the men went to trial. Um but they were also not um so they were and they were finally found guilty um and were imprisoned for life although they uh were paroled early and there's a whole thing about that that i won't go into but it's very interesting what happens to with these two men after they're paroled and again you're just like really did she divorce him yes good yes she did um so then the last part of it is there's a third section and again you know it's kind of investigative journalism and so the author in doing all of his again really meticulous research discovers that there was that this was actually more widespread than even the FBI had determined and mm-hmm. that between the early 1900s let's see I think he says yeah 1918 and through the early 1930s um that there was hundreds of Osage Indians killed um and murdered for their head for their head rights and again they were doing things like poisoning alcohol so that they would die under mysterious circumstances oh, so it seemed like they were just dying dying yeah and, it, you know, and again, that's even sinister because they're like, oh, drunk Indians. Um, yeah. Yep, they just drank too much. And, again, just st- the amount of money that was stolen from them is just oh, sickening, astounding. Ugh. Anyways, um, one uncomfortable moment for me, which I think maybe you'll appreciate, is mm-hmm. at, at one point, um, Gran quotes from uh, Little House on the Prairie. I've never seen that show. Oh, it's not a show. It's a book series. I've never read the book what? series. What? I didn't read until I was in college. Okay. Maybe I'll change my book and make you read a little. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, and I'd forgotten this. And of course, so here you go. Through the lens of a child, you know, you have Laura Ingalls Wild, and she's like, you know, and her parents are like, oh, we hate Indians. They're taking our land away from us. They're they're scary. They're savages. And so you think, you know, here I was, a little nine or ten-year-old reading this. Right. And Yeah. Anyways, because again, this book talks a lot about land allotments and the take pushing the Indians onto reservations and the forced migration. So Mm -hmm. a lot of overlap with what we read in um, Neither Wolf, Dirt, Dog as Mm -hmm. well. 
Um, the boarding school experience. That was another thing that was brought up in both books that we didn't talk about. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But the last thing that I will read is actually because we know how I love a good first um, an opening <laughs> line. So um, again, despite the sadness of the material, it sucks you in with the first page and it explains the title of the book as well, which I liked. So I'm going to end with that. Any comments before I do that? Nope. Okay. In April, millions of tiny flowers spread over the blackjack hills and vast prairies in the Osage territory of Oklahoma. There are Johnny Jump Ups and Spring Beauties and Little Bluettes. The Osage writer John Joseph Matthew observed that the galaxy of petals make it look as if the gods had left confetti. In May, when coyotes howl beneath an unnervingly large moon, taller plants such as spiderworts and black-eyed Susans begin to creep over the tinier blooms, stealing their light and water. The necks of the smaller flowers break and their petals flutter away, and before long they are buried underground. This is why the Osage Indians refer to May as the time of the flower-killing moon. Mm, that's beautiful. So really worth a good read. Um, again, this is more of a historical account. It doesn't have the first-person narrative of the other one, mm -hmm. but... Uh, they really complemented each other well. And I think, again, some of this was not necessarily new to me, but I think every time I read a book like this, it opens my eyes a little bit more and makes me think a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think it's just really, really enlightening. All right. Okay. So that's all I've got for today on that one. So our final genre episode of the year will be Native American fiction. So the book that I picked is The Arenda by Joseph Bowden, and this novel takes place in what has to become Ontario, Canada in the early 17th century, and is narrated by a Huron warrior named Bird, a young Iroquois girl, <laughs> Iroquois girl named Snowfalls, and a French Jes Jesuit Jesuit missionary named Christophe. I'm obviously going to be really good at speaking words. <laughs> this is why we're a team. We balance each other out sometimes. And mine is The Last Standing Woman by Winona LaDuke. And this was her first novel. She mainly writes nonfiction. But it presents the lives of seven generations of Chippewa women um, that are all called Last Standing Women. And it goes from the initial contact with whites in the 1860s to um, a surprisingly utopian peak in conditions early in the next century. So it sounds like it goes into a little bit of speculative fiction there. Yeah. Hmm. So with the arrival of Thanksgiving, we are going to both be doing some adventures during the adventures. week of Thanksgiving. So Where are you going? Bisbee, Arizona. Ooh, ooh. What about you? Uh, we're going to California to Joshua Tree in Ojai. Nice. So, yeah. So with this podcast, we'll post it on Wednesday, but we're going to take a break for Thanksgiving weekend mm -hmm. and come back the end of November for our final episode. So we hope that you guys have a happy and healthy and thankful Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you later. All right. Safe travels if you're going anywhere. Bye. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. 
To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 